welcome to episode two of a Nerd Storian's Guide to Modern Board Games. I'm your host, Jaina, and I'm here to wade through the boring parts of history, bringing you the interesting backgrounds of today's games and mechanisms. And I'm back with part two of the history of roll and rights. Last episode, we left off in 1974 with Sid Saxon's The Great Races, precursor to his hit game Can't Stop. This episode, we're going to tour through some notable rolling rights and trace their evolution through the last 40 plus years, leading to the boom that we're currently enjoying. We've got a lot of games to cover, so let's dive right in. After Camp Stop was published in 1980, not much of note happened with rolling rights through the 80s, although I think that publishing of Sid Saxon's Can't Stop Express in 1989 likely brought the genre to the attention of other big designers. Unsurprisingly, Reiner Knizia was one of the next to jump in on this idea with the original version of Crisscross, which was modified and re-released in 2017. The new edition has you rolling two custom dice, each with six icons on them, and then drawing those two icons into a grid with the goal of getting multiples of the same icon in the same row and or column. However, the original version involved math, which is unsurprising given that Reiner Knizia has a PhD in mathematics. Well, originally appearing in 1992 in Knizia's book, Dice Games Properly Explained, which is still available today. In 1995, Games and Puzzles magazine, issue number 10 to be exact, republished the rules. In old school crisscross, you were rolling two regular dice and adding up the values to record in a five by five grid with the same goal of getting multiples of the same number in rows and columns, although you can also score for a straight of five numbers. This is a super easy game to play at any time as all you need is paper and a pencil and two dice. Or you could use 10 binary objects. Remember those from last episode? Or I suppose you could just use your phone and a dice rolling app. As always, I'll link the Board Game Geek entry for the game along with a post that contains all the rules needed to play. There are some other early roll and rights that appear in Dice Games Properly Explained, but to borrow a line from Rodney Smith, likely the most famous Canadian board game personality, after me of course, I'll let you discover those for yourself. Farkle is the next well-known game on the docket. It likely originated in the 1930s and was published in a German book that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, a link to the references in the show notes. There are some claims that a very similar game could have been played in 15th century Finland, although that claim has been difficult to verify. Farkle also shares most of its DNA with a French game called Die Mille, aka Dice 10,000. Much like Yahtzee, in 1996, Charlie and Mary Potter created and copyrighted a scoring system for Farkle, turning the game into a commercial hit over the next 10 years. Also much like Yahtzee, you can now find multiple published editions and variations of Farkle most places that you'd find other games. <laughs> Farkle. I don't think I've ever actually said that out loud. That's a great word. Farkle. Okay, <laughs> moving on. I am going to mention the Roll and Write word game as a bit of a side note. It was published in 2000 and looks like it's an educational game for kids to explore word skills and expand their vocabulary, so probably not thrilling to most hobbyists. Why I'm mentioning it at all is that it seems like this might be the first published use of the term Roll and Write. I have tried to find the origin of the phrase with no luck, and while it's tossed around all the time these days, it must have originated somewhere, and this suggests that it was either known or used in 2000. 
Alternatively, maybe this game came up with the term and it spread while the game languished. Mostly forgotten to history. Who knows? Clearly not me. Okay, next. 2001 saw Goulash, Ghoul being spelled G-H-O-U-L, which is a two-player pencil and paper mini role-playing game, with each player secretly setting up a dungeon on one of the grids on their sheets, and then taking turns going through each other's dungeon while describing the encounters and objects they discover as they go. I'm not sure if this is the first RPG that doesn't require detailed reference books and lots of pre-planning, but I'm guessing it must be one of the earliest at least. Also gets bonus points for its alliterative subtitle. Goulash, the game of pen and pencil peril. Okay, for the next game, we go back to Reiner Knizia with Decathlon, a roll and write game attempting to recreate the feel of competing in a decathlon. Okay, that's probably a stretch, but the game consists of 10 mini games, which everyone will compete in, and the goal is to have the highest overall score at the end. This is another game that's available for free from Knizia's website, and I've included a link to the PDF as well in the show notes. It was originally published in 2003, and from a quick read of the rules, definitely feels fairly basic compared to modern games, but with a rating of 6.3 on BoardGameGeek and a price tag of free, it's certainly worth a try. I feel like this game deserves a mention as it's the first popularized roll and write to use a theme as tenuous a connection to the gameplay as that theme may have. Let's move a bit quicker through the early 2000s, with Klaus Tuber seeming to be the first to capitalize on creating a dice version of a popular game, coming out with Catan Dice Game in 2007. If you ignore Can't Stop Express, of course. The Catan Dice Game doesn't look to be terribly well-received, which is a trend that many, but not all, dice versions of full games struggle with. Also, in 2007, we have Werfel Bingle, aka High Score, coming out, which shares some similarity with Crisscross in that you're rolling two dice, adding them together, then placing the result in a 5x5 five five grid. The goal of this game, though, is to have poker hands in each row and column, with higher value poker results leading to more points at the end of the game. Roll Through the Ages, The Bronze Age, is the first big roll and write to be published, coming out in 2008 and designed by Matt Leacock, the designer of the popular co-op game Pandemic. Ew. Well, probably a fair number of people, but definitely not me. While most of the previously discussed games max out at around 1,000 ratings on BoardGameGeek, Roll Through the Ages far eclipses that, with over 12,000 ratings and a solid current rating of 6.9 out of 10. It seems to have been well-received, being nominated for many awards, including the famed Spiel de Jahres, even though it only won one award, which was Games Magazine's Best New Family Game. Despite seeing this game pop up over and over again, I haven't actually played it yet, and I feel like I need to fix that. Other versions, of course, have since come out, including The Iron Age in 2014, with an expansion to go along with it, and most recently it got a big redesign with Era the Medieval Age, which also replaces the writing portion of the game with plastic grids that you're slotting buildings onto. Even so, the original included pegboards to track your resources, rather than tracking everything on paper, which seems to be the first instance of that being added on to a roll-and-write game. That idea doesn't seem to have caught on, though, as I can't think of too many other popular roll-and-writes that do that. Maybe it just makes them a little too expensive? Eh, who can say? 
Okay. Much like fan fiction has created an outlet for fans to expand on their favorite books, TV shows, and movies, board games actually offer the same option with fan-created mini versions and variants of their favorite games. Agricola Express came out in 2009 and was designed by Jesse Magatha for that year's print-and-play dice contest on BoardGameGeek as an homage to Uwe Rosenberg's popular worker placement game Agricola, where you're medieval farmers under constant threat of starvation. That's probably pretty accurate to the time period. This is yet another game that's available as a free print and play through its page on BoardGameGeek under the file section. I probably don't need to say it at this point, uh, but there's a link to that page in the show notes. Next, we'll take a quick look at St. Mallow, published in 2012, which is the first roll and write I've come across that included dry erase boards and markers instead of paper score pads. It's also by Inca and Marcus Brand of the Exit Escape Room style games fame. It also brings bland Euro styling and theming to roll and writes with a cover that could have come from any other hundred Euro games of the time and a theme of gaining resources to build up a city, which also does nothing to help this game stand out. And yet, here I find myself wanting to play it. Huh. And finally, that brings us to Quix, which seems to be the game that lit the fuse that exploded the powder keg of modern roll and rights. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little too proud of that sentence. <laughs> Anyways, it was interesting reading some of the early reviews for it. So almost everyone mentioned Yahtzee at some point, showing that for many people, Yahtzee was still the first example of the genre that sprang to mind, even though, as we've seen, there's been quite a few roll and rights published by this point. For hobby gamers and the general public alike, Yahtzee was still the game in the genre so far. And while Quix has certainly become quite popular, it's still very much in print and can be found in probably all game stores and many other stores as well, it still hasn't achieved the name recognition that Yahtzee has. That said, the number and the quality of roll and write games that came out after Quix has steadily increased over the years. And my intuition says that Quix's nomination for the Spiel de Jahres in 2013 brought it to the attention of content creators in the gaming hobby, which led to more roll and rights being designed and their increasing popularity. Which brings us into the modern era of roll and rights. There are far too many games to keep calling them out at the rate I have been, but from what I can see, 2018 was the year that roll and rights really came into their own. First, we got Ganshan Clever, aka That's Pretty Clever, the first in a series of purely abstract roll and rights that thrive on creating combo-tastic goodness that keeps you coming back for just one more play to try and beat your previous score. Or you know, seeing how low you can score if you're me at any rate. Oh, but what do I mean by combo tastic? In That's Pretty Clever, you're rolling five dice, all of which are different colors, then choosing one die to record its value in the mini game associated with that die's color and blocking any dice of lower value than the one selected from being used for the rest of the round. As you fill in the various boxes, you'll often get bonuses that will let you fill in a box somewhere else, which might let you fill in a box in another area, which could then allow you to mark off yet another area. You see where I'm going with this. There are many other games that strive to capitalize on the addictive thrill of chaining combos, but very few have managed to capture the same popularity in just one more game, Nature of the Clever series especially with the excellent and inexpensive phone app iterations of all the clever games that many people have likely lost hours of their lives to. 
2018 also saw the release of Railroad Inc. and Fleet the Dice Game, which our listeners from Ansi to Gansy will be very familiar with as they are two of my favorite roll and writes. Railroad Inc. introduced a surprisingly deep and endlessly replayable spatial puzzle of connecting roads and railways on a dry erase grid board using four to six dice with a couple mini expansions included in each set to mix things up. You were thinking you might be getting a bit bored with the basic puzzle. Fleet the Dice Game is another game of combos that gets it right, except instead of writing in numbers or crossing boxes off, somehow creates, for me at least, even more fun than the Clever series does, just through filling in tiny circles over two sheets of paper, trying to maximize your hollow fish and build up a bustling harbor. Lastly, 2018 was the release year for yet another great game that led to the evolution of the genre. Of course, I'm talking about Welcome To, which brought the idea of flip and fill into popularity, where you're using cards as randomizers instead of dice. Welcome To is another one of my favorites, where you're filling in house numbers on three separate streets in ascending order. Which, as I say it, really doesn't sound that interesting, but if you haven't played it, you'll just have to take my word for it. It is addictive. Each turn, you'll have a choice of three numbers, with each number being matched to an action that you'll get to do along with writing in the number. And you're trying to score for a variety of different things, including building swimming pools, neighborhoods of varying sizes and values, and creating parks. And that will bring us to the end of this episode. I have one last episode in this Roll and Write series to wrap things up, and we'll look at where the genre is going and what innovations clever designers are bringing in, as well as taking a quick look at the history of Roll and Write variations, such as Flip and Write and other iterations. Then, as previously promised, I'll share my favorite Roll slash Flip slash Flick slash anything in Write games, as it is one of my favorite genres too. Thanks for listening to Roll and Writes Part 2. If you want to be notified as soon as an episode drops, then hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get a shout out in the next episode, send me an email at gamenerdstorian at gmail.com. Uh, it'll be typed out in the show notes below. And let me know what your favorite Roll and Write game is. Until next time, bye!